shoot me down, 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 down. My soul is untouchable Because you've already won me My victory is not in this flesh and bone It's in the cross and I know Nobody's taking it from me I got my armor now No fear, no doubt Can't shoot me down, yeah I got my armor now No fear, no doubt Gonna shoot me down, down Wow I love that song My wife hates that song when we're together in the car, I crank it up really loud. Yes. Good morning. My name is Ed Hires. I'm one of the pastors here at Shiloh. This is your first time. I apologize before I even begin this message for the first part of it. Just hang with me. Actually, we'll get spiritual as we go along. Uh, that's my only disclaimer there. So, who knows what genre of music this is? Somebody said disco. Yes! Come on, it's disco. Disco, how did the name disco come about? Where does it come from? Disco. Yeah, that's very good. Discotech. Wow, the first group knew a lot more than you guys. Come on. Discotech. It comes from discotech. Now, this music, by the way, the discotech is like a dance club that you would go to. You'd think of it kind of as a nightclub, but you go to this dance club, and disco was born in New York. Yeah? In New York, Valentine's Day, 1970. First time we hear disco music. I can't stand disco music. Glad it came out of New York. All right, not out of Boston. Yeah, we're glad. Okay, so this whole genre of music hit the world by storm in the 70s, reached its heights in 78 and 79, and in 1980, it fell off the face of the earth. It fell off faster than any other genre of music we've ever seen. I mean, when I tell you it fell off the face of the earth, you didn't hear it anymore unless you went to some oldies type of thing all in one year. Now, however, having said I didn't like disco, having said that I wasn't a big fan, come on, there are some great disco songs. All right, there are. So let's just take a How many people here liked disco? Whoa, notice it's almost all women. If you're a man, don't ever raise your hand and say you like disco. Just kidding, just kidding. Hey, by the way, is he here? No, he's not here, I can say it. Steve Hammes took a disco class. Can't you see Steve in the bell bottoms and the, like the shirt open? Come on. So anyway, he was clear to tell me, clear, quick to tell me though that it was a part of gym class and he had to take it. I'm not buying it. Anyway, so here are a few songs you might remember from this amazing era of disco. Who can forget this next one? Who sang it? Love, 
Gloria Gaynor. All right. This next one, who doesn't like this next song? Come on. Remember the moonwalk? And here, the one we've all danced to at some point in our life. Come on. Night Fever. The Bee Gees. Oh, you gotta love it. So, I started semi-lightheartedly because this is actually of quite a serious message. So we're going to switch directions now after a, a little bit of a walk down memory lane and uh, we're going to talk about our message for today there is no I in kingdom so normally when I'm preaching the Lord gives me something very close to when I'm going to actually preach part of that is because I wait till the last minute but besides that Okay, God gives it to me usually close, and sometimes not only close, but then like the night before, like Saturday night, he wakes me up in the middle of the night and gives me a whole different uh, direction, so I have to get up very early and change it. So that happens often. That's not the case with this message. This is a message I've actually been thinking about for months. Not the message, but what I heard from God. You know, I, I felt God spoke to me about how to look at the purpose of the gospel in my life differently than I've looked at it before. And it's my hope that possibly some of you will find that to be the case for you as well. It explains things that at times we have a hard time understanding when we're going through certain things. And it's helped me to understand those looking back and also to apply to times in my life today. So, at the risk of sounding like Pastor Don Littlefield, for those of you that were here when Don was here, I was brought up and spiritually born again in the 70s, okay? Many of you don't know what those were, but that was the decade uh, before the 80s. And I learned in my walk very early to trust in the irrefutable word of God. I learned to trust in the Bible as the solid word of God. That was my theology. And I learned to do that with, in a way that I would not take your opinion on anything. I went to the Word of God, and I got that truth. And it did help me a lot to stay from, from having, a, having man, meaning men or women, lead me down paths I shouldn't go down. I did that. So, and during that time, I memorized Scripture. I memorized Scriptures like 2 Timothy 1.7. I have not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Matthew 18.19, if two of you agree on earth as touching anything they shall ask, it shall be done by my Father which is in heaven. Jeremiah 33.3, call unto me, I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which thou knowest not. One of my favorites, 3 John 2, beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. And of course, one of my favorites, Romans 8, 28, that says, we know, we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. See, I claimed these and I meditated on these because they served me in the personal issues I was dealing with in my life. 
They allowed me to believe for a life where I would be a victor in all the attacks of the enemy. But the truth is, I wasn't always a victor. I didn't always walk in a place where I had victory over all the things. In fact, some things worked out really poorly for me in the midst of my confession of faith, in the midst of my claiming of the word of God. Now, back in the 70s when that happened, you would get counsel something like this, Ed, you need more faith. You know, you need more faith. So I would I'd try to pump up my faith. I'd get in the word. I'd pray more. Uh, I, would, I would cry out for God's favor and his grace. And while many, many things in my life, many, truly turned for good in the midst of that, those exercises, some of them didn't. And some of them were really important to me. You know, I was diagnosed with arthritis at the age of 25. Not something you want to be diagnosed with, by the way, at, at any point in time, but certainly not at 25. And um, I remember, you know, just praying and, and fasting and trusting God that this was not going to turn into a debilitating lifetime type of illness. And, and I remember early on when I had developed this, a family came in and they brought their son up to me. And he was, I don't know, maybe 15, 16, whatever he was. And he had just been diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. And you could see the beginnings of where it was starting. I knew those signs because I had seen them in my own life. And, and I remember having such faith for praying for him because I was trusting and believing God was going to heal me. And I prayed and, you know, I, I didn't see him for a couple of weeks, but they came back a couple of weeks later and said, Ed, he's healed. It was a miracle. He's totally healed. And I was so excited to hear that. And then I looked up and said, seriously? Seriously? I got this. I pray over him. He gets healed. I got this still. So that was the beginning of that questioning of that issue in my life. But then there were to be issues with children. There was cancer on both Marb and my part. In each of these situations, I claimed a result that didn't happen. But why? Why didn't it work out exactly the way I prayed? Because I was praying in faith. I was standing on the word of God. You know, was I living in sin? Was, that, was there something in my life? I asked myself that question, by the way. Was I lacking faith to receive all God had for me? You know, questions. And, and to be frank with you, I hardly spent a lot of time doing, thinking about that. I really didn't get all wrapped up. I didn't get depressed. But during the early times of going through this, it was really discouraging. You know, and, and if you can recall, you don't, most of you weren't here in the, in the 70s, but, but healing was, was huge back then. We saw a lot of that. It was a miraculous move of God. So here I am, an elder. Here I am standing in the pulpit. And I, you know, it's not like I have something that's hidden. It's, it's like it's right out in front. This guy's got arthritis. And, you know, I was tempted to say, I really shouldn't get in the pulpit because I'm going to discourage people that are believing God for their healing. That's what the enemy told me. I fortunately had good mentors around me that wouldn't let me do that. And, and you know, I still trust God. He'll do with me what he, what he wills. But you know what? I just thank God how he's used that. And we'll get into that in just a moment. But just recently, months ago, I heard this, this kind of stirring from the Lord to get me to look at things differently than I was looking at them. And, and I started to see some insights that I didn't see before. See, I, I started to understand maybe why things happen the way they are. And I have what I believe is the answer to that. 
And I would give that to you right now, but it's only 11.25, I have 20 minutes left. So I'm gonna build my case using the word of God. And let's see what the word of God tells us. You see, Jesus was with his disciples and they started to argue over which one of them was better than the other one. It's like kids in your family, you know, who loves, whose dad loved more, or, you know, who's stronger than this, that. They all argued about who's going to be number one and who's going to be the best among them. And Jesus said, look, it's not going to be like that among you. You're not going to, you're not going to compete as the world does for leadership. So Jesus says this, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And if you really want to be first, then you have to be a slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus tells us here that the purpose for him coming, the God of all the universe, was to serve. And see, if we're going to serve God and follow him, the question is, who are we going to serve? And then, how do we serve? See, the who is pretty easy. I told this to the, to the first group. Only several, some of you will get this. But when I, I typed the who is really easy, it capitalized the W. Come on. I'm not going to explain that. You should be able to get it. So, the who is pretty easy. Pretty much everyone God puts in your path is the who. That's who we're to serve. When God steers you into the lives of your coworkers, of your family, of your neighborhood, you're there to serve. But the how is a bit trickier. And we're going to start looking at the how by going to nine, uh, John, excuse me, Luke 9.23. And Jesus said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So here's what we've, we've seen in these two scriptures. One is we're, he came to serve, we're supposed to be like him. The word Christian, by the way, comes from the term little Christ. So we're supposed to be following Jesus and serving. But here's another thing we are to do, according to Jesus. If anyone will follow me, he must what? Deny himself, deny himself. And he has to take up his cross. Now, how often do we have to deny ourselves and take up our cross? Every day, every day. So let's see. Serve, deny, cross. Prosperity, health, getting stuff I agree on. Which three do you want? But wait, there's more. John 9 says that as Jesus was walking along, he sees this man that is born, what? Blind from birth. You see, it wasn't a casual notice on Jesus' part. Not casual. Everyone sees that Jesus focuses in on this particular individual. Why? Well, I'll tell you why. We know why, because we, get the, we have the Bible. It's because there's about to be a really, really big miracle. Something is going to rock the world of these people standing around him. What's the first question the disciples ask Jesus when they see him looking at this blind man? Who sinned? Him or his parents? Interesting first question, huh? Interesting. 
You see, even back then, disabilities were equated with something not right, something wrong. And so they want to know this horrible thing has happened to him being blind from birth. What happened? Did he just, is it his life that he messed up or was it his parents? And Jesus then says something that stuns them. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Seriously. This man spends his entire life blind. And not only that, but his parents have to kind of push him out because they don't have any way of taking care of him. So he becomes a beggar. He's blind and a beggar. Come on, it had to be sin, right? Wrong. See, not only do we see this and, and, and see the wonderful act of God, but we also see that God had a plan and a purpose. There's no question. Jesus made it clear. He knew this guy. He knew exactly what happened. He was about to reveal something to them. And here's what he was going to do. He was going to expand the kingdom of God through what this man had gone through and was about to get in his life. You see, as a result of that, many people there would believe. Many people there would see this Jesus as so much more than just a rabbi. See, many people would leave from there and ultimately after his resurrection, you can be sure some of those same people were some of the first Christians that we saw on this earth. But guess what? There's still more. We go to John 11. We're going to be looking now at Lazarus and we're, I'm going to jump around. I'm going to skip some scriptures because all I want you to see is the interaction between Jesus, the disciples, and Lazarus. Okay, we're going to take Mary and Martha somewhat out of this. So, a man named Lazarus was sick. He believed, he, excuse me, he lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. But when Jesus heard about it, heard that he was sick, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. Okay, that's a key word right there. Not end in death. N no, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Now at some point, the Lord had said to them, it's not going to end in death, He's sleeping, okay? So they said what normally the disciples tended to do. They said, Lord, why are we going there? Because if he's sleeping, he'll soon get better. They didn't want to walk all the way to Judea. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping. But Jesus meant that Lazarus had, Lazarus had died. So he now had to tell them plainly, look, Lazarus, Lazarus, I have a hard time with that word, don't I? Is dead. Lazarus is dead, and for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there, for now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. So he's now communicating out loud so people can hear him. He says, you always hear me. 
I know that. But I said that out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Clear reason why this is happening. Jesus has had this happen so that more people would believe in him. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands, his feet were bound in grave clothes. His head was wrapped, his face was wrapped in a head cloth. Jesus told him, unwrap him and let him go. Great message, by the way, that whole last line there. When we get saved, Jesus unwraps us. He sets us free. But here's the, here's the deal in this one. Jesus lets one of his best friends suffer and die. He didn't just go to bed one night, wake up, be dead. He was obviously sick for a while. That's why they sent message to him. But he let him die. He intentionally waited to be sure that his friend was dead. And then he goes and raises him up. So I ask you, what kind of savior is that? Answer? Oh, he's an awesome savior. Just an awesome savior. Because he's doing the Father's will to greatly expand his kingdom. See, many people in that circle would come to believe in Christ as the Savior. Now, I want to ask you, how many people got into the kingdom of God because of that very event? And I'll tell you, you can't tell me. Because those people told their friends and family who told their friends and distant family, and it went on and on, and probably thousands upon thousands ultimately came to Jesus because of this one event. Raising people from the dead, by the way, he did a lot of stuff, but this was a big deal, very big deal. So God expanded his kingdom in a way that was phenomenal. His disciples, who were already believing in him, but were about to go through one of the toughest moments of their, some of the toughest moments of their lives where they would lose what, who they believed was their savior, when, when he rose from the dead, brought all these things back to their memory, they would realize he was the very Messiah. See, Jesus taught his disciples when they asked him, teach us how to pray. He said this, when you pray, say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Didn't teach him to say, your kingdom come, your will be done. In, in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says this to us. When you get saved, your life is no longer your own. You were bought for a price. Okay, remember when Jesus said, if you want to be number one, who doesn't want to be number one, right? We all compete to be number one, at least I do. He said, you got to be a slave. You see, you were bought. You were purchased. Now, thank God we weren't purchased by a bad by a bad master, <laughs> okay? We were purchased by the God of all the universe who loves us more than we can imagine. However, our life's no longer our own. Sometimes we pray, Lord, heal me. Lord, prosper me. Prosper me. Give me your favor, Lord. Give me your grace. Save my kids. Send me somebody to marry. Fix my marriage. Help me sell my home. Help me buy a home. All the things. No problem with that. 
God loves to bless his children. But when we contrast that with, Lord, I do claim all your promises, and I know you want to bless me, and I do resist the enemy. But do what you will in my life, as long as the kingdom is expanded. See, you and I never have to fear anything in our lives. We heard that in part of the song. Because God is always partnering with you and I. But sometimes we go through really tough times and our initial inclination is always to feel like somehow we have to get out of this and we cry out to the Lord and sometimes we don't end our prayers with but Lord, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Whatever you need to do through me, expand your kingdom. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 12, 5 to 10. That experience is worth boasting about. He talks, talking about his, uh, the ways God has moved in his life. But I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about my weaknesses. If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth. But I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life and hear in my message. Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three times I begged the Lord to take it away. Now I want you to, I'm going to finish that, but I want you to hear this. Paul wrote, wrote a, you know, the vast part of the New Testament like two-thirds. Paul, who evangelized the known world, says here that God sent this messenger from Satan to torment me. And what does he say? Three times I begged him. And every time, God said the same thing. Okay, if we go on, the next line it says, each time, each time. So I begged him three times and heard this three times, right? He said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. But three times, Paul kept going back saying, you know, that last time I heard the answer, but that's not, that's not really the one I want. Okay, I, I want this thing going. I'm resisting them. It's Satan. You said, resist the devil who flee from me. What's up? And finally, after three times, and this was Paul. I love Paul, but I can identify with him. Okay, he said, now... I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, in the faith movement, we didn't quote that very often. We didn't quote John denying ourselves, taking up our cross very often. But the fact of the matter is the Bible teaches us that when we're saved, our life is not our own, but we are now able to partner with this God of all the universe in expanding his kingdom. The Bible says that you're to put on the whole armor of God. You know, wars are fought to extend property lines and kingdoms and, and cultural issues in, in societies. Wars are fought to capture things and take them for whatever country is the victor. Well, God is determined to take more and more of us and save us 
and give us eternal life. So why does God save us? Well, one of the reasons we know God saves us, it's in the Bible. It says we, he saves us to worship him. That's one thing. It also, like I just mentioned, it gives us direct access to him. But what's the important thing of that? Jesus died so that he could have direct access to you. We always think about, oh, God died so I can, I can come to him. No, God died, he did that. But God died primarily so he could come to you. All right, so God died and saves us so we can have direct contact with him. God also died to bless us. Now, he blesses us initially and permanently with eternal life. But here's what you have to realize about this whole blessings from God. He blesses us by allowing us to participate in expanding his kingdom. And I will tell you right now, that won't always be what you're praying for and what you want to see happen. Because you absolutely can't see the big picture. He sees every life that is going to intersect. He knows what they need. When Tom Murphy was, was one of our elders, if you didn't know Tom, you, you missed one of the great men of God. Uh, Tom was a close, close friend. He was one of the few men in my life that was my confidant. I could tell him anything. Tom was just... He was just awesome. Man of God, faith of God. And I watched him get prostate cancer and, and have this diagnosis that was just so, so bad. And, and Tom clearly prayed for healing. We all did. We laid hands on him. We anointed him with oil. I mean, this was one of the, one of the, one of the most amazing men of God I'd met. And, and he died. But I'll tell you this. He took a lot of people to eternal life before he did. <laughs> Okay, he was better in cancer than most people are healthy. Tom would just, he was relentless in the love and the mercy of God. And he would pray with, people were moved just by how can you be this way? I always said this about Tom. He was such a loser that he failed hospice three times. <laughs> three times they put him in hospice because he was gonna die and he came out. But Tom partnered with God at expanding his kingdom greatly. See, if we relook at Romans 8, 28, and God makes all things work together for good for those who love God, and what? Are the called according to his purpose? You see, we always claim that scripture that God, even though I'm going through this, you know what, right now, I know you're gonna, you're gonna bring it out. I'm, I'm gonna be better than ever. I, I pray that's true. And that certainly has happened to me many times in my life. But here's the deal. First and foremost, God wants to expand his kingdom. And thank you, Jesus, if he can use me through a tough time. See, it changed a lot of things for me. It explained a lot of things for me as I understood this. Those things in the past that seemed not to be a blessing to me, suddenly I could understand why and how God might use those. See, don't misunderstand me. God clearly gives us victory and brings blessings into our lives. And they're very positive. He answers prayers in a very positive way. He, he is absolutely a God of healing and prosperity. But more than that, he's a God that desires everyone to be saved, that none would perish. And when we look at that as the primary driver, not only to God, but to us, 
You know, if you're living in sin and you're struggling because of that, I can't help you there. You got to repent. You got to come back in to the, to the family of God. But I will tell you this. If you're not living in sin and you're struggling through something, I want you to pray differently. I want you to ask God to take it away, but I also want you to ask God that while I'm in this, use it to expand your kingdom. So here's an important question I want to ask you and I, and I would ask myself. Who is at the center of your Christianity, your faith? So it could be you, me, okay? Everything revolves around the fact that I have all these promises and God died for me and now he said I can come boldly to the throne and I can get basically whatever I want. I just need to have faith and ask and believe, okay? Maybe it's me and the ones I love. I don't want to be selfish, God, so now I'm going to extend this to my family and my friends. But I think is, this is where we really need to go. God, let me believe that the center of my Christianity is to partner with you and your desire to expand your kingdom. The song that we sung, that you didn't sing, the song that we played earlier, Bulletproof, it says, your love made a way, now I'm not afraid. No matter what the world may say or what they do, I am bulletproof because of you, because of you. And I don't have to fear or worry no more. I don't have to fear or worry no more. You see, when we start to see everything from the hand of God as being that which helps to expand his kingdom first and to bless his children second, and many times that blessing is in fact the ability for us to partner with him to expand his kingdom, it changes things for you, I believe. Instead of always just, God, please take this away, as Paul did, it's God, please use this to expand your kingdom somehow. I've gone through some really difficult family issues I never thought I would go through. They're the things that have hurt me the worst. They're the things that have brought more tears to my eyes than anything else in my life. You know, I've had business troubles, I've had financial troubles, I've had personal health problems. Piece of cake. Family, that's what will do you in. And I've always seen it as somehow, a, you know, God, why aren't you doing something about this? And now I start to see that I can pray differently. I can believe God to turn these around, and I do. But I tell you, I can also believe God. God, how are you going to use this to expand your kingdom? It changes things. I felt months ago this weight lift off me. Because now I, I didn't have to keep lamenting over what was happening. I now said, God, how are you going to use this? And I'm starting to see that. I'm starting to see that. See, the Bible says in everything, give thanks. And I believe that's because all things do work together for good. To those of us that love God and are called according to his purpose. We can give thanks in everything when we trust that God will use anything, good or bad, to expand his kingdom. And I want to partner with him in that. Do I want to be the man born blind? No. Do I want to have to die for Jesus to raise me up? No. But you know what? Let's go, Jesus, whatever. And I'm sure, sometimes I hate preaching messages like this, by the way, because I'm sure if something happens in my life, I'm going to apply this. I know I am. Maybe not immediately, but I will get there because I will believe 
that God will use whatever it is to expand his kingdom. And if I go through some tough times in the middle, if you have past things you've looked at and said, I don't understand that, trust me, you can get there with this. If you're going through something right now that you're just super discouraged or depressed or or upset or angry, you can get out of that with this, with this whole concept of Lord. Let me help you expand your kingdom. Father, I thank you for this insight, this, this, what I hope allows us to approach you differently in the midst of the storms of life or any part of our lives, that we would believe that you will work it out for good according to your purposes to expand your kingdom at all costs. And Father, if I can be one that helps expand your kingdom regardless of circumstances, Lord, let it be according to your will. Father, I pray that my brothers and sisters can pray that prayer along with me. I ask that you would bring this to understanding for each one here. I pray that in Jesus, your precious name. Amen. Amen. If you need prayer, please come up. We'd love to pray with you for anything. If you don't and you want to join us downstairs for some food and fellowship right down below us. And if not, we pray you have a great rest of your Sunday and a great week. God bless you all.